clubhouse. Welcome back to another edition of Pod Clubhouse's continuing coverage of This Is Us. This is for the sixth season, the 16th episode called Family Meeting. This is Paul. This is Caroline. Right off the bat, I'd like to thank Loving 3Js for our five-star review on iTunes. And I'd like to say you're probably right about the ages of Jack and Rebecca. Well, for the benefit of the listeners who aren't reading the review, Paul, what is it that you're talking about? She calls us out on being a little (laughs) wishy-washy. Whenever we talk about the ages of Jack and Rebecca, we tend to relate them to our own ages and stages of life, etc. And... And what she says is, Rebecca was just turning 30, and Jack was having his 36th birthday when the big three were born. We are always saying they're in their 20s. But in reality, Rebecca turned 30, and and he was turning 36. Good point that you're calling us out on. Here's the thing. I don't don't actually remember, um, you know, really discussing their ages so much. What I am relating it to is our stages. So our stages was like, in our 20s, we were like dating or going to bars or starting our careers or buying our first home. So the fact that- When were we going to bars? Well, you know, I was. <laughs> but like Jack didn't buy his first home until, you know, he's like 36 years old. And so for us, that's that that didn't jive. So I think in my own brain, we bought our first home when we were 21. So we definitely skew them younger. So apologize for that. But also, I hope you can understand that we're just kind of kind of putting them in that like younger before kids, before whatever. And for us, that was much younger. Let's jump into this one, Paul, because I have been binge watching season one of This Is Us in preparation for the end of this series. I feel like every single time you'd come in the room, I'd be like, Paul, you would not believe what they just said. You would not believe the callbacks that are in season one here, like, you know, to season six, like the amount of things that I am finding digging back up and feeling like, oh my God, we should have seen this coming over and over again. I highly recommend a rewatch to anyone who's loving this show, because I think that it is going to prepare me so well for especially, I think Rebecca's death, but also I think for that, the finale episode, because it's just chock full. Like it's, it's nuts, Paul. I'm telling you. The opening episode of season six was called The Challenger, and with it was a clip from season one. It's as if the writers were saying, you might want to go back and look at season one to prove, as as if they're (laughs) saying to prove we had a plan the whole time. Now, here's the thing. People will grouse at you on that, Paul, because when we see The Challenger happen in season six, the kids are six years old. And I think she even says, I have three six-year-olds. And I believe that they are clear that they're in first grade. When Kevin talks about it in season one, the very first episode, he says he's seven and in second grade. So, yeah, I know. That's been something that like, you know, people are like, yeah, we can talk real hot that they always had a plan and this is very clear and everything. But also sometimes there's things like that that are not, they're not great about the continuity of it, which is kind of weird because I think that the ages matter. You know, fascinating. I didn't ever pick up until just you talking about like, this is happening right now. You guys, you're experiencing my brain in, in real time. Jack was turning 36 in season one. So were the big three. They were 36. 
in season one. Weird. Just <laughs> my brain is like, there's so many things in season one that I connect back to this. I know there's another thing people grouse about because in season one, he also mentioned seeing Sophie for the first time in overalls and all that stuff. And I believe when he mentions it in season six, and you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, he says something else. He doesn't say the overall thing because I want to well, say they, on they do Twitter. do a flashback to seeing her. Yeah, but I want to say on Twitter, people are like, where's the overalls? Because he had said she was wearing overalls so there's some things like that but really season six i'm telling you go back to season one even if you aren't going to watch all the rest in the middle there's such nice bookends there's so many things that are going on in both that i think is going to be really helpful in getting through rebecca's death coming up well a lot of this episode was spent reminding viewers i mean the flashbacks to the kids stuff in this one is almost like for those that aren't paying close enough attention we're just going to remind you what the kids' relationships to Rebecca were yeah. that, that set up their motivations for the meeting. However, as someone that's seen every episode, I already kind of knew all that stuff. <laughs> you know, you and I had a lot of complaints where it, there was a five-person family, but typically it was only about Jack and the kids. For so much of the series, it seemed like it was Jack and the kids. Well, season one doesn't dispel that. No, not at all. It was always like, Rebecca was always like an afterthought. We never, if you guys go back and listen to like season three, season four, I'm like, where is their relationship with their mother? Like they are not giving her any credit for what amount of mothering she must have been doing, but we're not seeing it. This, I feel like is like these small little moments of seeing like, so let's go through them real quick. We've got Kevin was a colicky baby. And then we, of course, see, him losing the tooth and deciding to be like he's going to be the one to catch the tooth fairy he's going to be the one to you know circumvent the rules right mm -hmm. rules don't apply and he's gonna he's gonna sort of reveal this whole thing and then as the teenager like you know he's the one who is the rabble rouser and that she gets really pissed with you know was like get your shit together you know and stop bringing down your brother and sister which well, sets up that i can't i've never done anything right argument later so then let's do the kate one kate is scared by gremlins and is like a nightmare kiddo in that regard and oh my god paul can i just tell you we are the same age basically as the big three and gremlins scared the shit out of me i saw it way too young now you can i know you're looking at me like caroline how was way too young how old how old was i when gremlins came out eight well eight was too young for me because I think I saw it in the theater. We used to have this little theater in town. Now it's like a Aldi. <laughs> but it used to be a two-screen theater. And it was playing Gremlins and Ghostbusters. I saw Gremlins and it was a bad idea for me. You know, the only parts that disturbed me in Gremlins were when the mom puts one of them mm. into the microwave. Yes. That was gross. And then at the very end, when, is it Stripe? Stripe, right? When he gets melted into the pile of goo. Spike. Spike. Spike? The evil Spike. leader. He's got the mohawk. Yeah. He gets melted into the pile of goo yeah, that in was the gross. gardening department yeah. of the local You know what part store. scared me to death was when the elderly neighbor was on that chair that went automatically up the stairs and it shot out the window. Scared me to death. I just can't even explain to you. I mean, I kind of wanted one of those chairs up until then. <laughs> They always advertise them on TV late at night, right? Seeing that movie as an adult and then being like, these are puppets and they're not even great puppets. <laughs> like they're good, but they're not great. You can see, you know, that they're puppets. They're no baby Yoda. <laughs> I, but I felt for Kate. The whole fear of Gremlins, hell yeah. I was, I'm right with you. I'm not sleeping one bit. Then as we move forward, she is the one that is... As a baby. She was the one that was dropped. Not really dropped. More like just kind of bounced off the bed. Well, 
yeah, she kind of falls asleep with her. I mean, that kinda, counts as a drop. She kind of wakes up and she's on the ground. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know surely what we're supposed to read into that one exactly, except for just maybe uh, she she loses touch with Kate. <laughs> <laughs> right. Quite literally. And then as a teenager, same kind of stuff. Well, she takes a long time to, well, she says it, she's a late bloomer. It happened to be, I mean, it, this. Ah, we're going to get into it later about <laughs> how disappointed I am with the Toby storyline. But since so much time has passed, they have to have an exposition machine. And that happens to be Toby where he's like, you got your master's degree and now you're leading the state thing and whatever. And so... Now you're leading the state thing and Yeah, whatever. the arts curriculum. It's a big deal. And, we are well, going to talk about Kate's it, pro- it progress. It is, but that took until she was... That would be 50? Uh, we'll leave it for a loving three J's to tell us what the age is. Older than us now. Not that that's totally late in life to be coming across all those accomplishments, but she packed a lot of professional accomplishments into the last... 10 years of her life. Where we are with them, not the last 10 years of her life, but in the 10 years. Yes, right. Right, right. Yes. Where we are. In watching season one, there's a part where Becca is talking about going on tour and she's like, you know, Randall's so worried about this and and Kevin's, you know, all having sex and, and Kate's, I don't know what Kate's doing, but she's wearing a lot of eyeliner, so that can't be good. <laughs> Yeah. And it cracked me up because that's the thing. She never really knew what was going on with Kate. That trickles over into this episode where Kate stays silent for a long time. No one really does know what Kate's thinking and what's going on with Kate. Yeah, so then we have Randall, which she treats completely differently, tells the secret of the tooth fairy to him, and that soothes him. He actually, he's like a little adult always, right? He was Even when he was a little guy, he was actually grown and he feels better to just know grown things yeah and you know and and they show him running in at four in the morning to get his permission slip signed and all that stuff and all the times it was funny to even see jack there because half the time jack would just be like you know this accessory which is so funny because we just watched five seasons of 100 percent rebecca being the accessory you know it was like and rebecca yeah. it was like you know they do the credits if it went like and the beeve it was like <laughs> and rebecca like right. she was also a parent in that household we we see a lot of momming, you know, a lot of loving momming, a lot of hand holding, back rubbing, you know, sweet little conversations and the really hard days too, where she cleaned up poop and she dealt with and she did a great job throughout. Jack told her there was poop to clean up. Because <laughs> every because I'm sure her nose did not perceive that there was shit to be cleaned up in a baby's crib. <laughs> I get like part of me is like, oh my god! If I had just fallen asleep and you you woke me up just to tell me there was shit to be cleaned up, I'd be like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. That's good. Hi, I'd look at you and be like, hi, comedy, Paul. <laughs> Enjoy your shit cleanup because I'm on the sleeping <laughs> shift right now. <laughs> With three babies, you can't do that. You can't go be waking up the other one every time there's like a spill or like shit to clean up. There's always a spill and shit to clean up. You'd be waking the other one up nonstop. It's true. It's always. Uncool. Uncool. The meat of it is that we're trying to decide what is going to happen with Rebecca now that Miguel has passed. Only been a short period of time since his passing. A week. We see Rebecca having a rough time, you know, asking about him. And I've seen a lot of comments about people who have family members with Alzheimer's relating to this, calling out for their spouse that is no longer living and that the way that they handled it was very best practices, like that they just kind of left it like, well, he's not here right now. 
but like let's redirect and go do something else and not really say, oh, he's just at the store, but also not say, oh, he died because that would be way too much for her. So I felt good about all of that. Can I ask you something? Please. The moment when um, the nurse brings out Rebecca and tells that she has put on her own makeup and it's not well done, but right. it, and it's kind of overdone a little bit. It's a lot overdone. Was that supposed to relate to when they flashed a teen Kate and she's also very overdone? Yes, I think so. Okay. I feel like in that moment, the nurse brought her out there, maybe even to show them the stage she was at and being like, she did her own makeup and she thinks this is looking good and everybody just needs to kind of acknowledge that you know mom basically put it on i'm gonna say like you would put on makeup as a costume you know you'd put on like really big rosy cheeks and really overdone eyes and overdone lips not like a person does in everyday makeup and certainly not how rebecca wore her makeup like a little touchstone moment for the nurse to being like is everyone seeing where mom's at yeah because they're constantly having this conversation about like how much care does she need and and what is enough care and who is the right person to do that care? Did you glean anything else? It definitely related to Kate in terms of immaturity, right? Like she was an immature kid at the time who put on her makeup like that. And now we're seeing sort of the regression of Rebecca. And maybe it was meant to be a mental reminder to, to Kate to kick in that late blooming <laughs> that, that had been mentioned earlier. Just a imagery sort of reminder, uh, even if she didn't quite know that we had seen the flashback of her own face, maybe it was still a... I bet she didn't know that we were watching a flashback of her I own face. I bet not. <laughs> what a funny thing to say. But no, I think you're right, though. It was it was reminding Kate that my mom had grace when I did my makeup like this and didn't embarrass me and didn't tell me I looked bad or anything. See, like that. that's what I was trying to so, say. So yeah, there's that whole thing of like, so then they all applauded her and said, oh, you did a good job, mom. Like that was this good makeup that you did, you know, regardless of what they really thought about it. Well, do you want to dive into the big three or do you want to talk about the big three's spouses first? Where would you like to start? Well, there are two parallel storylines here. There's the big three in the main house and there's the not big three, <laughs> a C storyline are the hangers on. The, the Nikki, Edie, Elijah, Madison, and kids entourage that just kind of come and go in the background. Yeah, let's cover the not big three in the old cabin first, which I loved this bit the best, even though it drove home for me the complete unnecessariness of Philip and that whole... <laughs> unnecessariness. Yeah. <laughs> The conversation that Kate has with Toby really hit my heart. And again, because I'm watching season one, I'm I'm back steeped in when they first met and seeing all of the things that they went through, their conversations, their they're just experiences, which are which are both highs and lows for me. There's times in there where I'm like, wow, they were really, really good for each other. And there's times when I'm really quick to be like, you know, Toby sabotaged her at when she went to that camp to try to lose weight. Like he showed up and he distracted her and he acted foolish and before that he dumped the diet and he he was not good in in many ways about those types of things and also i really call total bullshit on his retort to kate when they're breaking up that she fell in love with a coping mechanism honestly he sells it 
way too well that this is his personality. He says he loves dressing the way he dresses and he goes through great lengths to find clothes at this thrift store that are like big and loud and vibrant and all this stuff. I'm really struggling with the concept that this Toby that they made at the end feels really difficult to deal with. It's really hard because he, like I said, he's the one that ends up losing weight. And it it makes me want to like tear my hair out seeing season one and seeing how much she's trying. And then just how many times that he kind of gets in the way. Oh, it's a mess. I don't know if they should have ended up together, but I don't know. I don't think that Philip needed to come into the scene. It's like they had three sections of string that they needed to line up at the end and at the beginning. The closer they got to the end, they found that one string, let's call it the Randall string, was almost done. Kate's string was almost done too. That left Kevin's string way too long. They had to find some way to extend Kate's string. Sabotaging their their relationship was the way to do it. I mean, you can buy the idea that all that stuff about going up the the hill and all that stuff, it, like it was like a necessary part of her growth. But I don't know why writing in the destruction of their relationship was the right way to propel them forward, especially just, I mean, this Philip business, <laughs> it's, it's like a brother-sister relationship. I don't see any chemistry between the actors. I really don't. And most of the time you can kind of feel that. And I just, you know, like between Beth and Randall, you can feel that. I just don't feel it between them. I think it would have been fair to have them separate, have her go on this journey, have him go on his own journey, figure out what he wanted, that he wanted to be with family more than he cared about his career and that, you know, she could still grow and change and do all these things on her own. But I think they could have brought them back together here at the end, which when he says, should we get back together? And she was like, Toby, it was like, yeah, but you guys kind of could. <laughs> like, you seem like you've kind of dealt with everything. It kind of feels like you should just come back together. But neither here nor there, Paul. We still, we've got Beth, Sophie, and I want to call him Pete, but that's not his name at all. <laughs> it's Philip. It's not Pete. Yeah, well, it's forgettable one way or the other. <laughs> What'd you love about it? The two women have been in the the picture for so long, you know, with various gaps in tenure. Sophie's been there since second grade, or they know what is going on in that other room with (laughs) startling clarity. (laughs) What do you think about the aspect uh, as a spouse in terms of family negotiations happening that will impact you happening away from you because they're accepting that whatever their headstrong men come back with, they're going to maybe ask, but in their minds, it's going to be already a done deal. That is a very good question. I think that the way that it seems that Beth and Sophie and Philip, I guess, <laughs> they've, they've all given into becoming Pearsons. This is about the matriarch of the family needing care, Sophie and Beth are not going to refuse anything that is decided amongst the group that seems like the right thing to do. They're not going to balance it against their own careers, their own families, their own anything. They're not going to. Because for one thing, this is a short-term thing. They know that Rebecca is not long for this world. So whatever it is that they are going to decide isn't going to last forever. You know, this is some sort of... Soft gap. Yeah, basically. These two women are smart and have good relationships with their husbands in a way that they could say, you know what, this really isn't working. And that they could come back to the table and discuss it again. Kate is so silent during this part. 
I think that it is reflective in Philip in that he's like, I don't know what's happening over there. I don't know who's saying what. And it's like, yeah, that makes sense because your wife's over there really just observing what's happening, you know, to begin with. And everyone plays their part. Kevin has an idea. Randall, of course, wants to take her and take her to Philly and and do everything with her there. I mean, I think we all knew that that was a non-starter, getting her out of the house there and away from the cabin seemed like a not good idea at all. But also a nice callback to what he did with William. Mm -hmm. The fact that he knew when to stop fighting. I mean, Beth helped him know. (laughs) Uh, But the fact that he did stop fighting is one of those benchmarks in his growth. A thousand percent. And that's something that I want to talk about in this episode with you because we only have two episodes left after this and I think a lot's going to happen. And I really want to talk about each of the big three's growth, having been watching season one where everyone was at. Let's let's start with Randall. He was so anxiety ridden and such a controlling type A person. The amount that he learns from William in season one about rolling down the windows and, you know, grow your hair out and let someone else make your bed. And remembering, you guys, if you haven't rewatched or go back, you know, how close to breaking he always was. That this conversation, as much as I've seen people say, oh, Randall's so Randall's so controlling. Randall just wants to like say his piece and do what, what he wants to do. Honestly, go back to season one, guys. He is restrained compared to where he was. He does listen to his siblings. It 100% takes Beth to point out his siblings' growth. He himself has grown a lot and and he is willing to be more of a team player and not call all the shots, which is a completely different Randall than we have back at age 36 in season one. Like you mentioned, I had been dropping in and out of your rewatch. I'm not there for every hour, but the highs and the lows, they're much more spread apart where his low obviously is like in the office when he loses his is uh, what do you want to call it? He has the breakdown. Yeah, he uses well, a couple of different words. He calls it you could he said you could call it mental distress. You could call it a nervous breakdown. He's trying to describe it to William. So there's a lot of different phrases they use for it. So that's low where he can't even think straight. Can't even see. He physically can't see. And then a, a high is say preparing Thanksgiving or something like that, where in our family, we have this term called the yips <laughs> and it can mean different things, but it, it really it, means one thing. Well, like in the, in a sports context, the yips means something else, but right. in, in, our, you choke. in our context, the yips is this unbridled, unwarranted level of high energy that doesn't even but into obnoxiousness, it is well over the line. It's the type of energy that makes everyone else look at you with the side eye and go like, what is your problem? Like, what, what are, if you get to that level of energy where people are like, you're, what, what is your deal? Then, you know, you've indeed got the yips. Those elements of his personality have fallen closer to a a center baseline. He doesn't get to that low anymore that we've seen. The yips part, he still can bring it out on days that he likes, Thanksgiving, things like that. But it's not the same, like the one we just watched was with William in the house and everybody tries to make it there. They do a bad job. Kevin brings Olivia, the, the this back in season one soulless he's about. shell of an actress woman. <laughs> but he's kind of up everyone's butt about have a good time, <laughs> you, yeah. you know, and he's not that way anymore. 
Right. And I mean, and it does take Beth to point out to him that his siblings have also gone through a great deal of change, but he accepts that and listens and pays attention to her her advice and really does see them for, for the growth that they've had. So let's move over to them. Let's talk about Kevin, because that's one that we have definitely struggled with over all these seasons. I think that he says himself, he's been so difficult over all of these years. And so I don't feel bad as podcasters that we called that out, that we're like, God, he's so difficult. He himself says he was rough. He was rough. I and mean, when you see Rebecca yelling at him as a teenager in this one, it was a good reminder to me, like, man, I, I wasn't off base to be pissed at Kevin all these years. He has had a struggling relationship with people around him, with relationships, including the audience, in my opinion. But seeing him come around in this and seeing how much there was that moment when he stood up and Kate says, don't leave. And he was like, I was just going to get another plate of food. That's because in the past he would have stormed off. He would have not listened. He would have closed down. And he he stayed. He is listening. He is trying to compromise and figure out the best thing for mom. When I go back and watch him in season one through five, he has come so far and getting back to Sophie and getting back to a genuine, sincere place of being sort of that, that before we were all kind of ruined, <laughs> you know, when we were little tiny guys, he went back to that place of, of just honest, true love. And that is where I see his motivation for everything he's saying about Rebecca. What I see in Kevin is probably a personality that if I met him in real life, I don't know that I would be able to be his his good friend because he would be so frustrating in that his personality hasn't really changed from when he was mostly irresponsible and had a lot of good things just sort of fall into his lap, like the Manny. I know that you have to work to get acting jobs, but on the other hand, you know, he also got very rich from the just, not very, but rich enough from that one acting role. Having one job that pans out to be like setting up your, the rest of your life is not a position a lot of people are in. Mm -hmm. To know that that personality is still there. He's still pretty funny. He is still pleasant to be around. But now his priorities have shifted away from almost completely selfish things or things that he thinks he is doing because he wants to do the right thing, like the famous quote with Sloan, right? Yeah, um, that's season one, you guys. That that was a confusing time for him, trying to figure out, quote, the right thing to do. Right. And it was never quite automatic for him. And now, you know, he's still a fun guy to be around. And this would be the frustrating part of Paul, a real life person knew Kevin Pearson as a real life person would be like, he's still that guy. But now his priorities are so, in such a way that he does have all those ducks in a row. His kids are taken care of. His He's got a good relationship with Madison. He's got his soulmate back. He's got this nonprofit business that he runs with his best friend, Cassidy. His uncle, yeah. who he brought back into the fold, happy and with a with Edie, who helps with the company. All these things are are now working, and it's because he's re reorganized his priorities in a way where all of those things come first, and then Kevin. And he's still this funny, happy-to-be-around guy. Yeah, and, <laughs> you know? and and he has gone through a lot of obstacles. Like, I don't want to take away from him, you know, his addiction struggle. I haven't gotten to this point yet in, in the seasons, I, I know it's coming, of, you know, of him having to go to rehab and him having to deal with all of the addiction and going through, like, family therapy and not feeling like, you know, he was the chosen one within the three siblings. I do not begrudge him that he had 
struggles and he had obstacles because I know that that our listeners who really love Kevin, they are not going to like it that I said that he was difficult. He did not have an easy go and he was not an easy kid. Like both can be true. Like he <laughs> he didn't have everything handed to him as a kid and he also didn't necessarily make very good choices. You know, like uh, actually William in season one says, I had a lot of bad breaks and I also had a lot of bad choices. So I think there's both, you know, he did have some bad breaks along the way and he also did make some bad choices though. Given all that, I applaud Kevin's growth. Same with Randall. Like I think that it's hard to see unless you do go back and you and you really pay attention and, and say like, wow, he, he was really a hardworking person the entire time. He just wasn't always working on the right things, like you said about priorities. Mm-hmm. His kids, and even I say, man, he's got a relationship with Madison, but he also seems to have a good relationship with Elijah which that's a way harder relationship to have everything be great with too. There's a lot of good things happening with Kevin. And of course, we'll get to the ultimate decision that is being made here. But let's get over to Kate and talk about her growth and change. Late bloomer. It's been there the the whole time. She didn't go to college right away. She didn't go to college very quickly after all. She had to go through this whole relationship with Toby to figure out where she wanted to be. Unfortunately for Toby fans, she had to burn through Toby and Toby through her in order to get there. And even then, a lot of this development, given through Toby's exposition, had to happen off camera. Yeah, I that's one part that I am I'm disappointed because of the fact that she she did get her master's and she is working on an arts curriculum for the state of California. Holy cow, that is amazing and leaps and bounds from, you know, the teacher's aid position that she was in. She has taken on a tremendous amount of responsibility and is clearly very competent in everything she's doing. So I am floored that they left that as just a one-liner telephone call moment. I really, I am right. like, wow. Where Kate was going to end up with her career and who she was as a person was the crux of her angst starting from like 17 when she decided she couldn't she couldn't sing in front of people. She wasn't going to do this anymore after Jack died. She couldn't find her way from 17 to now. And we get that resolved with like a, oh, and by the way, she actually went back to school and got all this and is a talented, you know, career wise and everything is like, oh my God, like she really, for as much time again that we spent on the Toby relationship, holy smokes, we should have seen her walk across the stage for her, you know, diploma, or we should have seen a second of her being the curriculum developer for the state of California, right. like a second of that versus why do we have to sit in the divorce conference room? It's, it's, you know, it's like, so damn. much different than Randall going from city councilman to uh, running for senator, mostly off camera, to becoming senator off camera. Then a whole episode of him, he's he's been a senator since the wedding. Mm-hmm. You know, I feel that's totally different because they had spent so long on him being elected and being the councilman and and mentoring Discussing Malik. Discussing his platforms and, and his issues. Like we knew what his platforms and issues would be. Exactly. And then so for, like you said, it would be, it, it would be like, what if, say... We had gotten a call. We had decided to call Beth, and she said, "Hey, listen, Randall, you may have been elected senator, but you're great." And they've been like, (laughs) "Well, I mean, like you said, it was just dropped in there in terms of just like because it was like that. It was like Senator Pearson, like it was just dropped in on us. But the difference is that we saw him as a political 
person for years, you know, before that. For Kate, we never saw her in this job as and and performing it so well. We only saw these little tidbits of like, yes, she was teaching songs to the kids, but that is a far cry from developing the art curriculum for the state of California. Like, I wanted to have seen something like that. Given all of that, though, they certainly gave her an arc. I mean, I can tell you that the person that exists in season one is a frustrated, very alone very lost person at the beginning of season one. And her weight is like the issue. It is. And she really doesn't have a lot of other focus, you know, at, during that point, because she does have this job where she's she, she has jobs and other jobs besides working for Kevin in season one. She does work for a couple of other people during season one. So there is more that's going on. But the fact that she becomes such a big wig in her career and that just sort of isn't the focus or allows the focus to be something not on her weight and we don't show that. Yeah. It's like, grr, because she did grow beyond her literal skin. She grew outside of herself and is now planning this curriculum for the state of California. That that deserved more applause, that she was like literally out of her own head. She just she spends so much of the series concerned about her weight. And that is not even a question mark at this point now. That hasn't been brought up. You know, we're not talking about that now. No, yeah. It's it's really only between her and Toby whenever that was discussed again this season. I, you know, she came so far, you know, watching these guys and realizing that we've only known them for a couple of years, really. And I, I am so invested in the Pearson family. Like, I was trying to explain to someone else. I was like, you don't understand. Like, I have watched this show and seeing the parents be like kids and all they went through and then seeing them find each other and get married and have kids of their own and then following these kids and all their struggles and watching them grow up to be adults and seeing them have kids. Like it's hard to let them go because there's few stories where you get that kind of longevity, you know, within a group of people. You usually just get like a snapshot. Like this is when they were friends in New York City. For those couple of years but you don't stick with them forever the way that we have Whew, it's a lot my heart is still it has a hard time i'm telling you it has a hard time now do you think that the outlaws over there i'm talking about beth and sophie were they was it cool and was it okay that they were kind of laughing yeah the absolutely. big three and all the antics that they'd be going through here we've been in life and death decision making situations and we've been in urgent situations that have extended over periods of time. And it, we've been in, I think, in the same situation where we knew that the things that we were starting to find funny in and of the situation, right. in all other contexts, people would think we were crazy for, <laughs> for laughing about. And that's what Philip, completely obtuse and has no business being there, uh, <laughs> brings to the equation. Um, it's a real hoot. He oh says, how little do you know this family that you think you can talk shit to Beth and not be put back in your place? Because Beth's like, um, let me explain to you. Big Phil. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Big Phil. Like you need to sit down and you need to understand, like, first of all, this is the way we as spouses get through this is to be able to joke with one another because everything you said at the beginning of this is dead on. The decisions they make over there in that other cabin is going to determine our cabin's future over here. So yeah, we gotta we gotta laugh a little. We gotta kind of be like, boy, what do you think that they're saying now? And when Sophie and Beth do their impressions of like Kevin and Randall and all the shit that they would be saying, and then they would flash back over and it's like the same things. I think that was brilliantly done because that's real families. 
That's what you really do. If we're in the other room and and our parents are doing something, we're like, I think dad right now is all like, rawr, 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 you know, and you're like, you do you tend to do that, right? You like yeah. mock what's happening in the other room. Kate staying quiet during that whole conversation with Randall and Kevin kind of living out that same Groundhog Day of mom always, you know, treated you like her special little guy. And Kevin, you're just a screw up. Like we were just hearing the same. It was Groundhog Day, man. That is the same shit that they are saying way back season one. You can hear them as little kids just bashing each other with the same crap. Do you think maybe she was just keeping her powder dry? Yeah. And letting them burn themselves out with this stuff that she knew was going to happen. So she kind of always has played the quiet one, though. Like, go back to that pool scene earlier this season where she just kind of hangs back. Like, Kevin and Randall say say things, and she just kind of hangs back, you know? And then she'll say something like, hey, guys, or whatever. Or in season one, they're kind of... Kevin says something like, do we know anyone who's desperate enough to go out on a date with Randall, you know? And Ken Kate's like, ignore him. Like, she's she's always trying to kind of just kind of dissipate the the tension. But you're right. She actually really sits back and just absorbs it. I think, yes, to get all that, just let's clear the air. Say all the things. You're a mom's favorite. You're a screw-up. Like, say all the things. And once you're done, we can actually sit down and have this conversation now. But they had to say kind of like the whatever right. shit was on their head. Twisted relationship. That's, that's a lot, Kev. It was a lot. To be at this stage and still saying that stuff was like... Oh, my God. So what do you think about their final resolution here and how the C storyline worked really hard, quietly and subtly, to constantly say what a beautiful town this was, what amazing food it has, what a great place to live this would be. It was all layered there for us. What did you think? As we've mentioned before, Kevin has always wanted his compound. I wish I'd been paying closer attention to Elijah to know if they had stitched in any element of this family in New Jersey stuff before now. Not the family in New Jersey that I can remember. However, he was able to show up at book club. He was flexible is what I want to say. Like his schedule was rigid. He was, wasn't rigid. He was never needing to run off to work, which was kind of the main thing was that he worked remotely mm -hmm. and was able to kind of go wherever. Now, what about Madison's job, though? She was supposedly like an exec. What the heck happened to that? Maybe she stays at home with the kids now. I, she obviously does, but it was just like one of those things. Like I don't, I don't know. I, I don't want to say like why are we treating the women's careers one way and the men's careers another way? Like, well, we're not exactly. I mean, a little we are. Uh, maybe she want. I, I, I don't know. You're right. They did never explain much about what she did once the babies were born. They just even before the babies were born. She I don't know the what door she did every time Kevin. Right, 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 right. I don't really know. know what she did before is kind of the point. Yeah, me neither. That's kind of where I mean, like, I don't know. We knew we know an awful lot about a lot of other people's careers. So, but Elijah's career, remote, can totally live there. And again, excellent food, excellent air, fresh air. There was some anticlimax in the ultimate decision in that we had the flash forward. We knew Kevin was there. Right. That, that he was treating this like his house. And he said early in the episode that the man he's finishing up. And a lot of actors 
don't live in Hollywood anymore if they don't want to. They they fly in and out for work wherever they need to go, but maybe that's the stage he he wants to be in in his career. I mean, they've been showing the the background of the sitting room, living room, whatever, and there is some kind of award in one of the Yeah, you said, is that niches. an Emmy or something like that? You said that. Yeah. And other people definitely have asked, at another point in time, there's like an art niche kind of thing, and someone asked, was that an Emmy or an Oscar or something? There was some sort of award there, too. Yeah. So, yeah, there's there's obviously, he had a successful career, you know, for, for as much as any one of them, you know, look at him as not being, or even he looks at himself as maybe not being very successful. It is sad to me when I look back, how many of the men feel like they failed? When I heard Miguel say that, when I even hear Kevin feels like he's a failure, Randall's pretty sure of himself, but he still doubts himself a lot. You know, Toby certainly, you know, questions a lot of things. You don't get that so much out of the girls. <laughs> Most of the girls are like, I'm awesome. <laughs> And I love that because I kind of find that in real life of that for as much as it's like men are like so, so, so strong and women are maybe the more emotional ones or whatever the crap you hear. I kind of see it the other way where like a lot of these men have have said out loud, boy, I don't feel successful. Well, you know, the creator and lead writer is a man, um, maybe perhaps exposing his own experiences or or um, feelings or insecurities in through this through line. I would buy that. This one actually has several writers, Dan Fogelman, Isaac Aptaker, and Elizabeth Berger, Danielle Bauman, or Bowman maybe, Johnny Gomez, and John Dorsey, all of writing credits of one kind or another on this. Wow. This one was a lot. So ultimately what they decide is that Edie and Nikki live somewhere nearby. And now unclear to me if they live in the cabin. Paul, you made a good point that that cabin looks untouched. They point out that it's like a time capsule. It's hard to believe that Nikki and Edie live in there and that Edie wouldn't have like updated it in some way or that they wouldn't have done something. Like they definitely have left it like a shrine to the Pearsons. I, yeah, I disagree years. with the idea that Edie and Nikki live there. I think that they would live, I bet that they would have cleared off Nikki's old pad. I think that's too far away to be where they are. Definitely, I agree with you that I don't think they live in the old cabin. I think that the old cabin is used almost like a foreman's house, like whoever, like if Cassidy's in town or whatever, or when people are there and there's an extra house, like I see it being used like that. I don't see it being used as someone's primary residence. Edie seems like a, this is my house now kind of woman. Well, she seems like a stylish woman too, as somebody who would have an opinion, you know, about where they live. You don't leave parcheesy hanging around when you're when you're <laughs> the her. whole thing the gingham checked chairs and yeah. all that stuff i don't think you'd leave either he's even a half decent human being oh right? that was so funny oh Edie, i love the way they write the women i feel like they they do an excellent job of making them all very quick-witted love that okay and so then elijah and madison are also going to stay in the area now unclear to me if they live on premises somewhere or if it just means they're going to live close by in the area you know from geography and personal experience that parts of Pennsylvania are driving distance, a day trip in, from oh, sure. New Jersey. Oh, sure. I mean, all of Pennsylvania technically is, but some, some of it is a lot closer. Sure. So, so do you, you, I mean, I didn't get the impression they were moving to, going all the way to New Jersey. Me I neither. thought they were just trying to be closer yeah. to Elijah's family. All that, all that selling the town business would seem to equate to they want to be close here and, you know, then Elijah's family is driving distance. Yeah. You know, one thing, this is like a small little nugget, but when they're making this family decision, they order all that Chinese food and they keep 
gushing about how great the Chinese food place is. And when Kevin is coming way into the future, remember he went out to go get food? Yeah. He got Chinese food. He like has the same bags. I did not notice that. That was funny to me in my brain that I was like, oh, they still live on that Chinese restaurant. <laughs> Speaking of shit that you've noticed. Yeah. What about the moment out in the yard when Kevin is talking to Sophie? When they're talking about their lazy Saturday? Lazy Saturday and the list of items. Yeah, definitely. So when they listed out the lazy Saturday and how this is just the most ideal day ever, they listed pin the tail on the donkey and they listed playing four square, which would entail having sidewalk chalk, which is another item that they were bringing. Also though, however, having watched season one now, I will tell you when triplets, I'm going to call them triplets, the big three are turning 10 and they decide that they're going to have three separate birthday parties. One of the comments that Rebecca makes is she's so sad because is this going to be the last time they play pin the tail on the donkey because they have it up on the wall and they've played it every year and it's like they're sad. And that's one of the things the big three says, we're too old for pin the tail on the donkey. We're too old for banners and all this stuff that you do. We want to like do our own thing this year. So I think the pin the tail on the donkey has always been this sort of like touchstone for her of like is was that the last time I was ever going to play it so it's like I could see bringing it back but this whole concept of a of recreating a lazy saturday is what I expect to happen in this next episode are you ready to talk about the train are we done talking about this one and where they got to just they earned the way that they got there more or less. I mean, I don't agree with every little nook and cranny of all He's the stories. He's upset about but, Toby just be honest like yeah. the Toby Philip thing. I think that they could have made them bust, but not bring in Philip and still had Kate and Toby, whether they get back together or they're just great co-parenters or whatever they do. I don't think Philip needed to be brought in. Like he's, he is totally an extra. One last thing I guess I want to say that a lot of people have commented on is the ease in which this decision is made in terms of so many people being willing to uproot their lives that Sophie's willing to also live there full time, that everybody's willing to just kind of quit everything and come live in Pennsylvania, and that that's not the way it would work for 99.9% .9 of families. Like, you're not going to get your ex-partner to come with the kids and live down the road, and, you know, all these people are not going to be that. So there is a real fantasy big bow on the top that is working out perfectly that is fairly unrealistic. for From a this-is-us point of view, there's some things like money that they never really deal with. Everybody just yeah. has enough all the time and we don't really talk about that. And this is another kind of moment where you're like, really, would everybody ditch everything yeah, in order to do this? Madison and Elijah were just waiting for the moment to be able to leave LA. Sophie never liked LA. Um, that all, stuff all just kind of fell into very lucky. place. Yeah. yeah. But I'm willing to say that this is also a group who would move mountains for one another and that love each other a lot. And that that's not common in a lot of families either, where they'd be willing to sacrifice for one another. So they all love Rebecca. They all want to see, you know, her be cared for. So I'm willing to let it go and just say Rebecca's just that much of a force that they feel drawn to sacrifice things out of their own lives to take care of her. So I'm happy she gets to stay put. We knew she was going to stay put, but I'm happy the way that it ended up working out because, boy, I did not understand <laughs> when we were like, where is she going to go? And, and, ah. and obviously Kate and Randall, you can see in the little flash forwards, they come visit often and they're always there. So. You ready to make any predictions about the train? The train. So the only other time that we've seen the train that I can think of, now I'm doing my rewatch, is when we were dealing with Caboose, remember? And we have Rebecca talking about how she used to ride the train with her dad. What I'm 
feeling in my heart is that we are going to see some sort of metaphor about the train and riding the train for life. Now, whether it's going to be like you get off at the different stations when you die or you get on the train at some point and you see all the people who have already departed before you, there's going to be something like this. Somehow the train making stops, people getting on and off, and it kind of cruising on the track, right? This is what I see. I don't. Are you are you feeling different things for the the title of the train? Because we don't have any info. We haven't seen anything. This we've only got what you guys have. No, I like that, especially the circularity of of the caboose having having been mentioned earlier and and telling us how that's her memory of of dad and and now knowing or not not that the show's explained it but just life has explained people with memory issues get just sort of random recollections of things throughout their life so if this final you know bedside gathering around rebecca includes things like that it would fit the rest of the show so i'm looking forward to it i mean i know this is going to be something that is going to be heart-wrenching i swear to god you guys i have eyelash extensions and they have been getting wrecked every week by this is us because i have been crying so much even on rewatches even on other things i've just watched william pass away and oh my gosh having him see his own mom you know, when he passes away and going to hug her, I can imagine that the death of Rebecca is going to have Jack waiting, Miguel, other people that would have passed along, her parents, other people within the storyline, William might be there, I don't know. Just to see all those people who I can imagine being passengers on the train, you know, as she's like walking in kind of thing. I think it's 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 going to have that feeling of like not a surprise party, but kind of like a surprise party where you walk in the room and your eyes are trying to adjust to all these faces you see and recognize. I feel like it's going to be like that for all the characters who have passed on the show for us. This is Caroline. And this is Paul. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast, or why don't you do this to all Pod Clubhouse podcasts, since this one is only two episodes until it's over, on iTunes, Amazon, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. A high rating helps other people find all of our podcasts. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening. This has been an original Pod Clubhouse production. Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you. Pod Clubhouse.